Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. My guest today is Bob Woodard. He is the principal at RNW Inc. and he is a copywriter who specializes in healthcare and technology sectors. And of course, that includes a lot of experience in the life sciences as well. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Oh, good to be here. So just as a beginning, can you tell us a little bit about your background so people understand who I'm talking to? Yeah, I, uh, I've been working in this area for you know quite some time in the Bay Area, and uh, you know I started out as a technical writer and uh, and got interested in the more the promotional aspects, and I have a scientific background, so this was a really good match for me, and I love science, so I just began working with uh, directly with companies and also ad agencies in the area, and one thing led to another, and and uh, now here I am. And so I've worked with a lot of different types of, you know, healthcare, pharmaceutical, technical, you know, technology companies in the Bay Area, and um, I really enjoy it. Nice. And so let's start our conversation about writing and just um, think about why people should care. It's often difficult to find the time to produce well-written original content. Can you tell us what difference it makes for the customer and the business and a little bit about how companies can do that well? Well, you know, there's sort of the, uh, I wouldn't say it's really a joke, but kind of a, an observation people make that nobody ever reads the copy. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, I kind of turn that around and say that nobody really looks at the visuals, which I, you know, which I, I think they probably definitely do. But I think the copy creates an environment. You know, so if there's a theme that people can follow, it's like it's telling a story, you know, where if you have a compelling headline and, uh, and and subheads and copy that pay that headline off, I think people do get interested in it because of an inherent, you know, attraction toward a good story. And a lot of the products that I work with, they have tremendous stories behind them. So it's it's a uh, it's an opportunity to educate the prospective customer and, uh, and and draw them in, and I think that's really the the most important part about it. Even if they don't read every single word. That said, there are some there are some things that they you know like a like a data sheet or a you know a, a manual or you know some kind of a technical backgrounder where they will read very carefully to make sure that what you're doing is valid and relevant to what their you know their work or their research. And then they they will they will carefully look at words, especially the ones that have to do with um, you know results or specifications or claims. And so there, the copywriting becomes more of a, a factual based thing that supports the story, and that's that's all very very important. And storytelling is a uh, it's a very popular topic right now in the marketing world. And you mentioned companies that have tremendous stories. How do you put that into marketing materials? I'm always, I mean, I understand the principles of storytelling, but sometimes I'm looking for a story about a product and I'm not quite sure where it starts and how to frame it. Do you have, can you talk about that a little bit? 
Well, I think that comes down to, you know, focusing on uh, customer benefits and, and really having a good idea of who the customer is. You know, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I mean, if, you, if when I hear about stories, I think of stories like um, all the way from like, you know, stories that kids are attracted to, like Find Waldo, all the way to um, the stories adults are interested in, you know, that become movies or blockbuster novels. And really, the whole thing starts with a connection with the person, you know, where they, they where they know it has something to do with their life. So, like a, a little kid, you know, and they're, uh, you know, trying to uh, find their way, you know, through the woods by dropping breadcrumbs or whatever. On some level, the child knows that's that's about them. But I think that you know, obviously, that's it's out of the realm of uh, advertising to life science customers, but. I think that it has to be so relevant to them that they're drawn into it. And this could be this could be on any of the continuum of of uh, you know from blockbuster innovations all the way to something that's just going to save somebody a few minutes a day. But if they know it's for them, I think they will be drawn into the story. Yes, and it's really about making someone feel like they are the character in the story. I guess what I'm asking is, how do you do that? Besides talking about the benefits, how, how do you hook them into immediately looking at your copy and saying, this is about me? Well, you know, that, I think that has to do with understanding their environment and what their, what their challenges are they face every day. And uh, I think all too often companies are, 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 are kind of telling them what their problems are, and, and nobody really wants to hear that. I think that they, they know what their problems are, their frustrations or their challenges or their, you know, the things that are keeping them from succeeding. And I think that it's a matter of connecting with them, you know, at a, at a much more the level of the, I guess, that we talk about features and benefits. You know, it's like looking at the benefit, but looking at it in the context of the work environment that person has. Whether they're like, the, you know, like a, the CEO of some company or somebody who's, uh, you know, pipetting reagents in a, in a, in a sequencing lab, they, they have an environment that they work in and it really matter of connecting with them on that level. I think it's just sort of an age old uh, journalism rule where you really need to talk to a, a person who is uh, looking at what you've, what you've written or what your publication is trying to achieve. Right. What is, um, what is the biggest challenge you face when you're contacted to do a writing project for a company? Well, I would say, um, well, a couple of things. One is the, uh, sometimes as a, as, as a person who works in a freelance world, uh, time is always a, a big crunch. You know, I think that, you know, it comes right down to it. They call someone like me to get something done fast. I mean, I and sometimes I kind of feel like a, uh, more like a skilled craftsperson, you know, like a plumber and electrician that's drawn in to, um, you know, to fix something or to get something done because somebody hasn't, didn't have the time or the skill to do it themselves. And I think that really uh, that's kind of frustrating because some of these things do take some time to do them really well. And again, if I think that if, uh, if, if, if uh, in an ideal world, you know, the projects would be done in a, in a much more orderly way where all the information is available right up front. But, 
I understand that sometimes time is really the the critical factor. There's a trade show. There's a you know a pub you know a, uh, an ad placement deadline. A you know you name it. And and uh, in what I, part of what I provide as a service is to do the best we can in the time we have. And you know and that that often is is fine because these things are things are always changing all the time. You know, we're not building monuments. We're we're capturing moments in time. So you know, I look at it. I'd, I'd like it to have. I'd like it to be perfect every time, and and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. But sometimes it's just a matter of practicality, and we have to get it done. But you know, if you have like two hours to do a job that should take two weeks, that could be very frustrating. I, I'm sure, and I, I know a lot of these projects come down to time. Do you have any suggestions for companies about how they could think about this farther ahead so that, um, I don't want to say wouldn't need your services at the end, but uh, in many cases it might be that they just don't have the bandwidth at the end when their time is limited and people are working on other things for the same deadline. But what kinds of things could a company do um, at the beginning of some campaign or project that would ensure that they'd have better content coming out of the back end, regardless of whether they engage someone like you or not? Well, I think it's, it's just uh, like with anything, there's, there's a lot of planning that can go on. And a lot of companies do this, uh, you know, where they have like developing what I guess I would call a messaging platform or a messaging hierarchy, you know, where they go from the, um, you know, why was the product made in the first place, you know, the, the, or, or the service, you know, the objective of it, the problems it's solving, the frustrations it's eliminating, and, uh, you know, what, what's the idea behind the product? And, um, and, 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 you know, I guess, you know, supporting that would be a series of messages that talk, talk to people on a, very, a variety of levels like a functional level, which would be, you know, I guess the technology part of it, like the technical problem of solving, you know, there's a kind of more the emotional level having to do with, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed at this. I'm going to become, you know, uh, known for my expertise in this. This is going to help facilitate my, my career basically. And then there's kind of maybe the more, you know, overarching method, like I'm, you know, doing doing something good for mankind, but I think all these things have to be gathered and separated and supported by, you know, feature type messages like how can the product actually do this? So it kind of comes down to, you know, what's the news? You know, what 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 should I pay attention to here? And uh, and then why should I care in the first place? You know, how's it going to help me? And then, you know, how do I know this is true? And to kind of separate those messages out, you know, very, very carefully. And they don't have to be finely refined because that's ideally what my job is. But to but to work with somebody like me or, or, or some people in marketing to develop this hierarchy to begin with. And from that, you know, I think you have a set of tools that could that could uh, help develop anything from a from a you know from a website all the way down to a simple direct mail or e-blast because everything is falling into place, you know, based on those messages. And that's, that's what I think could help, you know, um, not just, not just help somebody like me do their job better, but basically, you know, market the product more effectively. 
I, I like how you broke that down into those three simple steps. So what's the news? How does this help me? And how do I know it's true? That I really like that. And I want to say that um, it seems like when these projects happen inside of a company, there are many, many materials, as you point out, web pages, brochures, data sheets, all kinds of things, emails that end up incorporating those things. And But they're often each written from scratch. So there's two aspects to that that I would like to point out. One is that it's takes a lot of time to start and think about each of those things. But my perception is that sometimes that's what happens. Someone says we need an email. So they probe their memory for what are we talking about here? And they, and they create an email and then they have to do that again when they create some other thing. And then the other aspect of it is just the consistency. So there's a time saving and a, um, a consistency of messaging. If, if this could all be laid out ahead of time. So multiple benefits um, for getting your messaging platform lined up early. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, you know, it, things can get out of hand. I mean, um, even with the best intentions, especially in a large company where they have, you know, so operations in different places and, and often people in these, uh, I guess you call it maybe sort of uh, district or satellite or you know there are people that have their own responsibilities for producing marketing materials and things can go all over the place when people take that you know take that on and I, I guess that that can cause problems with the consistency like you were saying of the messaging to begin with and and uh, you know that's that to me is a you know a really good a really good marketing communications manager you know, and it needs to have some power in the company, and that's not always the case. And and I think that's, that causes problems, you know, uh, or, well, not problems, but maybe confusion and and, and maybe uh, missed opportunities. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, one of the things you mentioned when we spoke before was um, stuffing nine pounds of crap if you will in a one pound bag <laughs> can you explain what you mean by that in the context of marketing and writing no well, i think we've all probably seen it and when people say you know let's let's do a uh, a positioning statement and in an ideal world it'll be you know one single thought when you know that's based on one single advantage or thought over competition or maybe it's just a, a brand new idea but i think in that in, in an area where there are you know, there's a lot of uh, competition for products that are that are maybe very, very similar. You know, uh, people will put, you know, everything they can think of into the position statement that could possibly, possibly differentiate it. And usually that's not one thing. So they would say, it's you know, it's faster, you know, it's the old thing. It's faster, it's smarter, it's uh, easier, it's uh, everything goes in there, like the entire thing. So it sounds like the doomsday machine that's going to solve every problem the person has. And I think that, first of all, it's difficult to, you know, to, uh, you know, just basically like a sentence structure, it's more than one, it's like five thoughts in one sentence. And, and from the standpoint of the uh, person who receives the message, it just, they don't know what to focus on and it ends up not being very um, captivating or believable. 
And and so, I, but people run off with these kinds of uh, position statements and, and, you know, for, again, if, when it falls down to somebody like myself trying to create an idea or write a, you know, cohesive, you know, piece of material based on that, it becomes very, very difficult. So it's just a, it's a kind of a mashup more than a positioning statement. Right. I had this exact conversation last week with Hamid Ganadan about positioning. And first of all, five things can't be a differentiator or you'd be uh, <laughs> five. You'd be phenomenally ahead of the market if you had five things about your product that were different than everyone else's. But it's it takes courage to find the one thing which may not be the most attractive thing, but would be the one thing that would capture all of a particular audience who cared about that one thing and, and then grow from there. But it, um, you know, I think a lot of companies and, and I understand why I have a, a little bit of fear of missing out. Um, but again, like you say, and Hamid said it as well, if you, if you're not clear about exactly what you're, what you stand for, that one thing, um, your customer won't be either. So it, you're, you're not helping yourself. Well, you know, you're right, Chris. And I think that, I think that the thing is that, um, it's, it takes time to get down to that one thing. And, and I, this, we go back now to the understanding of the customer. And I, I wonder sometimes, you know, if, uh, you know, if you, every company's not creating a killer app, right. And, and, you know, like the classical, Marketing 101 positioning thing where you draw the uh, axes and you have, you know, time versus cost or whatever the axes are and spend some time. And, and it can, you know, it, people are going to be surprised if you're, for example, uh, you know, selling pipette tips or something. You know, there's there's not going to be like a gigantic difference. It might come down to price. It might come down to, you know, uh, performance. But. I think it's just a matter of being sure within the company itself or in the marketing department in this case, what really, what really can they say about it that, that'll make it, that'll make it uh, differentiate. It could be easier to order. It could be anything, you know, but I think it's good to take the time to, to really, really figure it out. You, you hit my favorite thing on the head right there with easier to order and not necessarily that one specifically but it's not always something about your product there's a whole experience around the product how you get it um how easy it is to understand how to use it when you get it uh, all the other materials around it ordering whatever it is Um, but a lot of companies tend not to think about that i think partly because the people involved in the in the marketing content are typically more close to the product itself and are not responsible for all those other things. But certainly a company that makes it easy for you to get their product, that, that is a differentiator. Yeah. So I guess, you know, really, uh, you know, I, in a situation where, you know, people from different parts of the company have been put into the, uh, you know, in, into the process or, or the person who's putting it together again, you know, the, the job of a, marketing communications person at company is pretty, is, is very, very important. And I, and I think all too often, you know, it's, it's, you know, more like we need a brochure, we need a flyer, we need a website, you know, can we put this together? But I think it's really a, um, you know, it's, there's some architecture involved and some, and, and some, uh, and some research and discovery and all that. 
Yes. And in our, I'm going to shift back a little bit to this messaging platform and structure because the other thing that we talked about previously um, was that you mentioned that pharma does a really good job with messaging. And um, largely because of their regulatory environment, first of all, they have to keep their claims on track but uh, and document everything so that it, it's it's essential that they have – you know, a clear messaging platform and they're sticking to it. There is no improvisation. Is there a way that life science companies can emulate that? Well, I think that, I think that, uh, even though they're not under a lot of them are under, you know, obviously some restrictions and, and you want to not, you want to make sure that what you say is, uh, you know, verifiable, you know, no matter what. And, and, and that's, that's, that's basically really, really, you know, the most important thing. You know, because you're selling a product to somebody whose job might depend on it, or the or the the quality of uh, somebody else's work depends on it. So those are always, you know, just like in pharma, those are really really important things. It's not regulated necessarily, but but those are important. But I think I think what's good is to uh, come up with something that, you know, my perception is, you know, that in 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 the pharma industry, you know, you invest a lot of money into that messaging up front. And once it's once it's put into motion, it's just too hard and too difficult and too expensive to go changing things sort of on the fly. You know, there has to be a really good reason to change something. So I think to implement a messaging platform across all the materials, you know, so say you have a core concept that goes across the, you know, brochures, you know, a website, you know, uh, any anything. That same concept is and that claims are held to you know, in a very strict way, you know, all across the board. And, and I think that's, that's an ideal thing. I mean, a lot of times people get cold feet or maybe something isn't working out exactly right. So they start to change things and pretty soon it becomes unraveled. And, uh, you know, and there might be good reasons for that, except for the person receiving the messages kind of wonders, you know, they forget or they aren't being, you know, the, the message isn't being reinforced and that becomes, you know, ineffective. So I would say to have the messaging platform locked down and to, and to and as much as possible enforce its usage, you know, across all the communication uh, tactics. Right. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at was that, that sort of discipline around what the message is and um, just sticking to it ruthlessly <laughs> um, to keep things <laughs> consistent. Things do change, you know, and that's, you know, like you always hear it again, going back to marketing 101, that a, a business or a marketing communications plan is a living document and it changes all the time. But, you know, I think in a way that where it's changing, like going back to the original positioning and messaging, if it changes, if changes are made, they change for a reason. And, and that reason, you know, is fit into the current campaign, let's say campaign. So if we call it a campaign that's based on a consistent messaging platform, which is the whole idea of the campaign, and if that campaign changes for some reason, then that has to be made clear to everyone that the campaign is changing, including the people receiving the messaging. And, and uh, you know, I think that, that you know, that's where things get to kind of be difficult because, you know, companies don't have endless resources to go you know, to go, you know, back through and uh, redo a big messaging 
you know, initiative or whatever every time something changes. But it's it's just good to be, I think, to be aware of it and to keep things uh, to keep things uh, contained. And again, I, and not to put too much too much uh, you know pressure on marketing communications managers, but really that's a responsibility somebody has to take on. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, I completely agree with the limited resource problem, which really sort of reinforces the idea that getting clear about what you're going to do from the beginning um, and getting that right is, is worthwhile. Um, you talked about uh, the value of a creative brief and, and a, a a culture where a creative brief was standard. And, and I don't know to what extent uh, people outside of agencies still use a creative brief internally for their company. So I can't speak to that. But um, I guess if you could talk about a, the value of that creative brief a little bit. And then I think uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to link to one in the show notes so that people have something they can use. Yeah, well, I think a creative brief is a is a distillation, you know, primarily of a which could be of any number of source materials. I think in an, again in an ideal world there would be a uh, uh, you know some marketing reports, uh, profiles of customers, uh, any information that's that's available at all. Um, you know, it could be interviews with uh, key customers. All this information distilled. Down into one document, and, um, and and it really kind of starts off with a lot of the stuff is pretty straightforward. You know, the, I would say that that the top, if we think of it as sort of a pyramid in a way, that the top is sort of the objective of the brief. You know, um, what it's supposed, to, what this, what the, this piece of communication is supposed to do, and uh, and the definition of the of the project. Again, you know, advertising website brochure, technical brief, technical manual, whatever it is. And then, uh, and then the positioning, whether it's been established or not, would be the next the next part of that, which is probably in a way the most important thing, which is really all that information that I just mentioned distilled into you know uh, one differentiating statement, and then from that, you know, we can build the uh, the argument for the product from some supporting you know key facts, and these these could be. Uh, Typically, they're very in our industries. They're very feature oriented, but this is an opportunity to bring in some customer benefits, and uh, you know, and, and limit it to, to I don't know the the most the five or whatever most important things, and whatever can fit into the communication, uh, the document or the website. But they have to be clear. They have to be you know not not again going back to the mashup thing. We don't want to have like a whole bunch of things in one sentence. We want to have it be you know very very clear. And uh, yeah, and then and then talk about what the uh, you know what's expected from the uh, you know what the goals are for the outcomes or you know, if there's anything having to do with uh, you know um, you know. Uh, Attracting customers from different fields, or you know, anything like that, and also any kind of mandatory information that has to be included, which might be disclaimers and things like that, so that when a person gets it, a person like myself gets this document, there's a pretty clear idea of what of where we're going. You know, this is like in sailing on a dead reckoned course, where you know where you're going, you know where the hazards are, you know where the the route is, and uh, you're going to you know be able to do an effective job of 
of uh, getting where you want to go. Nice. Um, so now let's shift gears a little bit and, and get down to, um, I'm going to use a nitty gritty example of software. And one of the things I see a lot of is, is copy for software that's fairly generic about, you know, easy to use, powerful, intuitive, and so on. And I had a conversation with, um, uh, one of my guests a couple weeks ago who said, you know, you might think it's intuitive, but until I sit down with it and I use it, that doesn't mean anything to me because it might be and it might not be. And I was, I've been thinking, you know, most of us in our, in our jobs, if we're marketing people, are using software for a large part of the day, whether it's Word or project management software or anything. And so these things must help us in some way. And I'm wondering, is there a way that we could think about what we would say about the software we use a lot to get ideas about communicating the value of more specific software? Is that a crazy idea? Well, no, I think, uh, well, I think what you brought up to begin with, I think, uh, I think some of this stuff sounds generic because, you know, we have, we all have a tendency to fall back on, you know, kind of tried and true, uh, I guess, sort of sound bites, you know, and, and, uh, I think that if somebody could, if somebody, again, I, I keep going back to this idea of understanding the customer, if somebody can really get into the customers, put themselves in the customer's position and try to assiduously avoid, you know, going to, uh, you know, kind of the tried and true statements. And you can make that out in almost not just software, but almost any industry. If you look at somebody's marketing materials, you'll see, you know, you'll see that there's a, there's a sameness about them that is, is, uh, is, it becomes evident very, very quickly. And if, and if you can put somebody else's name on a piece of promotional materials that you produced and nobody would know the difference, then I think, I think that's, that's a problem. So I think that being original, I guess is really the answer to that, 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 that there's always some way to explain something differently. It is a little bit of a risk, but if you understand the customer's problem and what they're trying to achieve, they, they will understand it. And you don't have to use, um, I guess, again, what, what I guess in the journalism world would be kind of trite and hackneyed phrases to describe something that's supposed to be new. Right. Uh, yeah. I, and I was thinking, you know, just for life science software in general, each one of those things does something that helps people understand their data better, or maybe it's easier to manipulate the data, or there's there's something about it, and it, it's not just easy to use. It does something for you that's going to speed up your understanding of the results, let you slice the data in a different way faster, or whatever it is. I feel like the parts of brochures that I see that describe the software that goes with an instrument or something are are neglected and, and really, if they're not going to add value, they're just wasting space. Yeah, I mean, I, in, in, a, in a, one thing, I mean, from just a purely practical um, writing standpoint is to look at the adjectives you use. And, uh, and and ask yourself if you really need all of them because if you strip those away, you know uh, you kind of end up with what with what it, what it is what the person really wants to know. I mean this is this is sort of you know 
a, a good exercise to, to take a look at because people use adjectives to kind of try to, to take those to take that you know nine pounds of one pound bag stuff and try to pack it all in there. And if you strip it all down to it, really, it's about. I think you can. It's a, it's a good way, just from a very practical writing standpoint, to figure out what it is you're actually trying to say. And and you're right. I think I think you know a product is designed and built to serve a purpose. And trying to trying to make it be more than it is, or uh, in a way, kind of um, uh, in, in a funny way, kind of like making it apologizing for what it is. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a very interesting problem, and I and I you see you do see that come up all the time. Well, I love what you said there as a as a practical takeaway from this whole thing. Is here's an exercise anyone can do. Take your copy, strip out the adjectives, and see if it tells the the right story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know, I mean, ideally, you know, you can put so many adjectives in front of something. You know, like you said, faster, easier, cost effective. Uh, you know, efficient, minimizes hands on time. I mean, people people you can see that all over the place in our industry, and it and it uh, gets tedious. And I think when people read it. You know, it doesn't really mean anything at some point. Well, that's that's really helpful. Um, is there any other general advice you have for the audience about how they can make more effective use of their own writers or outside writers? Well, yeah, I, I would say to uh, you know to um, provide them with good input. That's that's the main thing to. You know, and, and a lot of companies are really good at this. You know, and you know, it's it's a it's something that, uh, you know, good product managers and um, and uh, marketing communications managers. You know, a lot of them are really good at it. I think that it, it's a matter of being organized, give people good materials that they can use, and not just sort of uh, do a data dump on them. Data dump is fine at some point, but. You know, there needs to be somebody who has gone through all that and digested it, like I said, into this, uh, where somebody could create a creative brief out of it. I think it's useful to have the writer participate in, in, in writing the creative brief because that's the person, and even the art director, those are the people that are going to be tasked with using that information to create something. And if they can be involved in doing it, in fact, uh, it, and many times I've been I've been responsible for creating that creative brief myself. It, it it I hate to use the word forces, but it kind of forces the writer to go through the material and understand it and put it in a way that they can play that back to the client and say, "Did I understand this the way that you want that you would like it to be understood, or maybe in a new way that you never even thought of?" I think that's a very valuable exercise. But to do that. The writer needs good information, and that often requires him or her to be involved in the planning process, at least to some extent. Nice. Well, that's that's great. Um, well, I want to thank you for all this information. Before we end, though, I I like to ask all my guests one other question, unrelated to the topic of the day, and that is, I'm curious to find out what you do. Um, in the time when you're not working? What do you do for fun or to relax? Well, every day I, I get up at five, five o'clock or so in the morning and I go swimming. 
uh, for an hour or so. And then I, uh, and I go to yoga two days a week. I uh, really enjoy spending time with my family and, uh, and, and taking long walks. That's, that's good. And then reading. I love reading. I, I, just, uh, I just started reading a book I'd read many, many years ago, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. It was David Copperfield. Ah. Uh, Charles Dickens, what an, amazing, what an amazing writer he was. And it's just fun to read his stuff. Fantastic. It's, it's interesting. Um, I always find out, you know, many times I have things in common with the people I'm interviewing that I didn't even know about. So I think I, I knew about, uh, your love of swimming. I swim, I don't swim every day. I swim three days a week and, um, still love it. I've met my wife swimming and it's a big That's part of our life. Yeah. It's a great thing to do. So, so yeah. And, and, uh, you know, open water or in a pool, it doesn't really matter to me. It just uh, it's good to it's good to take some weight off your off your body and off your mind for a while. And I think it's a good thing to do for sure. Yep. Well, we'll have to go swimming sometime, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can do some open water swim in the bay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Bob Woodard, and um, really appreciate all this helpful insight. Yeah, well, thanks for the call, and and, uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Science Marketing Radio. If you enjoyed it, a rating or a review on iTunes is always much appreciated. That will help me get more listeners so we can attract more fantastic guests. You can also find me on Stitcher Radio, and if you like, you can leave a comment on the podcast at words, the number two, wow.com. Have a great week, everybody.